This is womensleadershipsuccess.com radio, episode number 13. Today we're talking with Randy White, the author of a culture-changing book, Breaking the Glass Ceiling. He is one of the top management consultants in the United States, and today he's going to share his insights about getting women in top management positions and the narrow band of acceptable conduct for women leaders. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life. No matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur, join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. This is Sabrina Brom with womensleadershipsuccess.com. I'm very pleased today to have with me Randall White, who is the principal partner of the Executive Development Group and also uh, the author of a very interesting woman's book. Randall, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sabrina. I'm glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about what you do and what your background is. Well, I am, uh, by training, I'm a social psychologist, and um, I still keep an academic, I still do some academic work. I teach at the Fuqua School of Business at, at Duke as an adjunct, and I teach uh, things around and about leadership. For the last 30 years, I've grown to study what I wish I could be, which is a successful leader in society. And uh, I grew up at a place called the Center for Creative Leadership, which is a think tank that does work on um, effective leadership. And um, I teach, and I do some coaching, and I do some writing, and I have the best job in the whole world because I get to be a voyeur in effective women and men's lives. Wonderful. And you also wrote a book. The title was Breaking the Glass Ceiling? That's the title, Breaking the Glass Ceiling. It's a book that came out some years ago. I've gone on to do other things, but um, like a bad penny, no. <laughs> uh, glass ceiling sticks with me. I had two young daughters when I wrote that book. I now have two older daughters who know much more than their dad. Uh-huh. But I, when I wrote that book, my children were very young, and um, that book has gone on to come out a couple of different times in a couple of different editions. And, of course, people have taken glass ceiling and used that in a variety of ways. And I think you can uh, do Amazon or a place like that and punch in glass ceiling, and you'll now see... A dozen books come up with that in the title, but yes. Breaking the Glass Ceiling was ours. That's got to be pretty exciting that you coined a phrase that is now part of the of the lexicon of our, our culture. That's so cool. I think it was very fortunate. Um, there were two colleagues, uh, Ann Morrison, who's, now, who's since retired, and uh, uh, another colleague, Ellen Van Velser, who's still at the Center for Creative Leadership and myself, and we got very lucky. And um, it was an interesting story the way the book came about. Well, I'm, I'm really curious about that. I mean, here you are, a male. You're actually the first male I've interviewed on the show, um, and I had this wonderful coaching class with you, so I definitely wanted to interview you. But how in the world did a man happen to get interested in this research? That's 
fascinating. I a lot of things came together uh, at once. I guess as one of my colleagues says, the planets lined up correctly. Uh-huh. I had a, a, an undying interest in difference. As a young assistant professor just out of Cornell, I taught at an 1890, which is a black land-grant school as part of the separate but equal system. Uh-huh. And I had done other things both with black and with Asian and Hispanic and, and women, and I just, I was always interested in difference. And several of us had been involved in another study of how people learn, grow, and change. Well, read people as how do men learn, grow, and change. Exactly. And that read, led to another book, a different book, uh, called The Lessons of Experience. But every time we would show up in an organization in order to, these are all Fortune 100 organizations, every time we'd show up to do interviews, they'd say, oh, yeah, we have women for you to interview. And there'd be one uh-huh. or two. And... Um, there was an afternoon, truly, it was an afternoon about 3.30 or 4 o'clock. The switchboard at the Center for Creative Leadership got fielded a call uh, from Working Woman magazine um, that they, they knew that the center had done a study on why men derail, and they wondered if somebody could help them uh, and talk with them about possibly doing a study of why women derail. Mm-hmm. Somehow that got rooted to me. So now you have to remember, this is a small organization. I'm a young guy, pretty new, sort of assistant professor type. I'd been at uh, the center for less than a year, I think, at that time, maybe two. Um, and this came to my desk. And I went, wow, yeah, hey, we'd be really interested. I went around the corner to my colleague, Ann Morrison, who said, let me have that. Uh (laughs) And the rest is kind of history. She had always wanted to do that. This is about 1985 when we were doing this. I think they gave us $16,000. Now, I know today that doesn't sound like very much, and even then it wasn't very much. Um, The people who had sponsored all of the other work on men we're paying much more than that. Each company was paying much more than that, and I'll just tell you that there were multiple companies involved. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry, little tickle. Um, but for $16,000, they said they would pay us if we would replicate the study of why men derailed. And we said, we don't just want to replicate that. We want to do why are women not only derailing, but why some women are successful. And so we went out to do interviews, and we went to about 25 corporations, I believe, all Fortune 100s, to find a sample of women that matched the sample of men. Wow. And that's how the database was born. How fantastic. And, and at that point in time, must have been one of the first studies that had ever been done. It was, <coughs> excuse me, it was a groundbreaking study, and... It didn't take us too much to find a publisher who became very interested. And the interesting thing to me to this day is nobody, nobody, the hierarchy at the Center for Creative Leadership really didn't care all that much about uh, the study of men in the sense of there were no senior people really watching over that. Mm -hmm. But when it came to us doing the study of women... 
all of the senior people started really looking over our shoulders and wanting to read our drafts and do this, that, and the other. And uh, now that I look back at that, uh, I probably would have a, a, a something to say about it that wouldn't be necessarily uh, a good thing to say. But we were just happy to be able to do the study to gain the cooperation of the women that we interviewed and and also of their corporations. What what uh, of the things that you gleaned at that point in time? Can you uh, fast forward that to to today? What are things that are still happening or insights about what women need to do to be successful that you learned from that study and you, you continue to notice? Gosh, there, there are so many. But the thing that strikes me in 2008 versus 1985, and the study was actually published then as a book first in 1987, by what was Addison Wesley, it's now owned by Financial Times. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that strikes me today, 21 years later, is the same numbers of women in the Fortune 500 as there are there there were then as there are now, and I think that's amazing that we've made no real significant progress at the very top of the largest organizations. Now, people will say, and I would agree, we've made progress in a variety of jobs and assignments along the way, but at the very top, the numbers are strikingly similar 20 years later. The thing that sticks with me the most from that research that I still use today is the notion of the narrow band of acceptable behavior, that every organization, every culture, has an acceptable code of conduct, has you know certain uh, nuances that need to be followed, like around here we all wear white shirts, or around here we don't use four-letter words, around here we never interrupt. I mean, you know, there are just different things that different cultures do. Mm-hmm. And that narrow band, we're, we're, every single one of us is negotiating that narrow band. Mm-hmm. When you're successful at it in an organization, we say she fits or he fits or they fit. And so we know that we even have a code word for it. It's called fit. And the issue is in, you know, there are times where you want to pick somebody who maybe doesn't fit. There are times when you want to pick somebody who's different just because you need to shake up the culture. Mm -hmm. And what we found is that women had to work much, much harder in order to negotiate that narrow band of acceptable behavior. An example, pardon me for being so rude, but he's an aggressive young man. She's an arrogant bitch. Right. Same behavior, but labeled differently, given a different valence, Mm -hmm. negative, positive, simply because of gender or Mm -hmm. race or, you know, pick the... Pick the discriminating piece. Right. It, see, it seems like women have a narrower band of behaviors that are acceptable than males. I mean, you could, males could get away, it seems like, with, like you said, the aggressive behavior, um, even crying, and not be seen as out of, out of the band of acceptable. I, 
I'm in agreement with you about that. I know that there are people, Sabrina, that would disagree with you and I on that, saying, oh, no, it's the same, it's the same. But my experience is women for excluded classes, but women in this particular case, mm -hmm. I think anytime somebody is excluded from the predominant uh, group, that, that that band is more narrow because we're much more aware, much more cognizant of their presence because there are fewer of them. Mm -hmm. Now let's make it even more difficult. And there are those, you may agree with this, that find women harder even. Okay, so things are difficult enough. Mm -hmm. Yes? Now let's add a complexifier and say, now women have a tendency to be very hard on themselves. Mm -hmm. And that makes it even more difficult. Right. So how do we navigate that? That's, you know, I've, one of the focuses of this program is to help women uh, break the code so they can get promoted. And what's a, what's a way to start navigating that? What, what are the, the things that they should become aware of, uh, work on, so that they can move to the next level on that? Well, I think there are a lot of ways to go here, and not everybody's going to want to do everything that certainly that I would suggest but I think the biggest piece of advice I'd give somebody involved being a really good anthropologist once you're inside an organization trying to really understand what it takes and what it means to be successful around here and I don't mean that you go and start, what does it take to be successful but that you really study who makes it and why you know, people don't just make it because they're not good. They are good. What are they good at? How are they good at it? And the other thing that I would tell you is, along with that, there, I don't know any high-performing organization that doesn't promote people who don't produce results. So you have to produce results, and you have to figure out how the culture treats certain behaviors and what behaviors it wants. The next piece I would say is you have to be willing to take some risks, calculated, intelligent risks. And if you're going to take risks and stretch yourself, you're likely to make a mistake. When you make a mistake, you need to be willing to own it. I made this mistake, I learned something from it, and I won't let that happen again. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing that stuck with me uh, that you're reminding me is you asked for advice is all of the women in our study who made it or were making it had some sort of sponsor or mentor. Mm -hmm. Now, I know even today people talk about how it's difficult to find a sponsor or mentor because everybody's so busy. But finding somebody along the way, it doesn't have to be even in your own organization, who can give you straight, open, honest feedback Right. about your strengths and your weaknesses. I, I like that. And one of the things that I hear a lot is that women are afraid to ask. Well, that's because they get back this stuff from some of the guys. I, I still have guys. It's 2008. I still have guys tell me, well, I can't tell her that. I'm afraid she'll cry. You know, and there are more men that cry in my office than women. So <laughs> I think I think the issue, Sabrina, is... Don't be afraid to, we're all afraid to ask for feedback. Feedback is very difficult. But, you know, if you think about 
a good parent, a good boss, a good teacher. It's more than getting the right answer. It's also some feedback. It's not just what. It's not just how well you did. It's how you did it, and that's the kind of feedback you want from people. Hey, you know, Sabrina, that was really good. But do you realize that you stepped on this person when you did that, or you didn't listen to this person when you did that, or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. Getting that feedback is really important. Right. And and I was also thinking in terms of the sponsor or mentor. You know, you might think, oh, this would be a great person to mentor me, but you're hesitant to ask that person? Yes, because anyone, at least in my experience, anyone that I would want to mentor me is already so busy with their own life and they're already doing so many things that I would find... I'm just another commitment or maybe I'm going to be a burden or whatever. I have I have similar things happen, I guess, with students, with graduate students that I meet as part of the American Psychological Association work that I do. Mm-hmm. And they're always surprised when they ask, could you help me with, and I'll say, sure, when would you like it? Or when would you like me to do that? And it's almost like they've, they're setting themselves up to be rejected uh-huh. versus... Hey, it's a privilege. Like to help you. Like to give it a go. What makes you willing to do that? Uh, I think we all have a stake in helping women, men, people be better in the next generation, and and so a commitment that many people I know have. It's not just me is to reach behind us professionally and help pull some people through. Right. In my discipline, the number of women is growing in the American Psychological Association, but in terms of the kind of work that I do inside organizations, the number of women, again, in in senior and key consulting positions is still much smaller than the number of men. Yes. I, I don't understand. You know, come on. Just as qualified as anybody else I know. Right. Well, it brings up another question I wanted to ask you, which was, how can a a woman build her reputation, her brand? You know, she's she's good at what she does, and how does she let other people know in a way that works? Yeah, because we know from some of my colleagues have done some work, a guy by the name of Gary Latham and some others, on the female modesty effect. You know, if you ask a group of men how they did on the golf course today, you know, you'll, you'll, oh, I shot a 78 and I'm great and all this stuff. If you ask a woman who played with them and maybe she, she shot a 72 and did much better, she will often say, I did okay. Uh huh. And I think people have to figure out a way, women have to figure out a way to be able to own, I shot a 72 and I did really well. Uh huh. Uh, without it being haughty or, um, you know, out of place. But you do, I mean, there's, there are appropriate times to take credit. That's one thing. Second thing is, again, I think we're back to being open to feedback. And I think when you're open to feedback, people begin to notice you in your improvement and things that you do well. The third thing that occurs to me while we're talking is many women and men have made the observation that women sometimes 
appear to be fairly task-oriented, especially women with multiple obligations, mm -hmm. family obligations and those sorts of things. They're very good taskmasters, and they're very tough-minded around time. Mm -hmm. And so when 5 o'clock comes or whatever the time, they have to hit the door because they still have their role as caregiver and spouse and all those things, whereas the guys will hang around and talk politics and work the room. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes women need to figure out some different sort of arrangements, if at all possible, which allows them to take part in some of those conversations too. Right, to realize that sticking around, developing those relationships is, a, is an important part of their branding yes. and networking and just getting to be well-known in, in the industry or, or the job they're working in. That's right. That really makes a lot of sense. But you're so interesting that it's it's uh, leaving keeping the the time thing on this is going to be difficult. I want to ask you quickly what what are you reading right now? What kind of books or or uh, periodicals are you reading? Well, I read a lot of biography uh -huh. and or I read history in some way and what I would call U.S. history stuff about presidents stuff about senior people, team of rivals, Doris Kearns Godwin is one that probably I've been uh, paying an awful lot of attention to. I've been slowly plotting through it along with some other things I'm reading for my work. But hearing, seeing um, Abraham Lincoln blend together a team of rivals, a team uh -huh. of people who hated each other, absolutely hated each other, and get them to work together is an amazing is an amazing story. He was an amazing leader. He was able to get the best out of people who didn't even like each other, who often were very envious even of himself. And it's a pretty amazing thing. And I think Doris is a really wonderful writer. She also, uh, last November on Meet the Press, um, took a piece of research that we had all done and mentioned it. She said, you know, the really interesting thing is that the most effective presidents have been ones who have made mistakes and admitted that they learned from them. And that's certainly what our research with women in glass ceiling and with men in the lessons of experience showed. So she writes in a way that she's sort of teasing that out in real time with Abraham Lincoln and this team of rivals. I'm going to get the book. It sounds really interesting. It's very good. It's a really good book. Do you have a, a, a tip for getting promoted? Um, there's no substitute, obviously, for performance and for getting the right answers and those sorts of things. Uh-huh. Don't forget, it's not just what you do, it's how you do it. Friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. Ooh. And uh, so many people that I see are, you know, like the A student. They get everything done, and then they go, no, aren't I going to get promoted? Uh-huh. And what you want to say is, yeah, that's great, but you forgot a whole piece of the picture, and that's the people. And I'd like you to look behind you and see the wake that you've left. Wow. that That is such good advice. And... I'm so grateful for you taking the time to talk to us today. Um, really do appreciate it. Thank you so much, Randy. You're very welcome, Sabrina. It was a pleasure to be here. Would you like to get inspired by some great women business leaders? Join me on October 30th, 2008 at the Pink Conference in Los Angeles, California. It's going to be fantastic. 
and email me if you're going. I would love to meet you in person. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brom, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrahm.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.